volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello and welcome to season six of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado. Our mission is to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. As you may know, the season's all about creating healthy and aligned teams at the top, executive teams, senior leadership teams, extended leadership teams. I am thrilled today to have Ellen Connolly Tafe on the show. This was a really great episode. Ellen and I dove deep into the challenges facing high-achieving women in the workplace and the impact on executive teams and organizations and some really great ideas and new ways of moving forward. By the way, this episode is not just for women. I resonated with so many of the perilous strategies that people use in the workplace that you'll learn more about in this episode, and frankly, in Ellen's book, The Mirror Door. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, then we'll jump into the interview. Ellen Connolly Tafe is a clinical associate professor at the Kellogg School of Management, where she teaches personal leadership insights. She's also the director of women's leadership programming. Outside of Kellogg, Ellen serves as an independent board director for two public companies and one private company boards. Ellen also runs a leadership advisory, consulting, speaking, and coaching business. She's a TEDx speaker. You can find much of her work in media, such as Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Business Insider, Washington Post, Bloomberg, and Kellogg Insight. Prior to her academic governance and coaching career, Ellen spent 25 years with Fortune 500 companies holding top brand management posts at divisions of PepsiCo, Royal Caribbean, Whirlpool Corporation. She has built world-class brands, led multi-billion dollar portfolios with P&L responsibility, launched new businesses, led turnarounds, and merged businesses and cultures post-acquisition. In her book, the mirror door, break through the hidden barrier that locks successful women in place. Ellen uses her vast experience to help women understand and navigate through internal and external obstacles to create the future career they desire. So again, this is a great episode, not just for women, also for men. Take a listen and let me know what you think. Let's go to the interview with Ellen now. Thank you. Ellen, welcome and thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm glad to be here, Sal. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So your book, The Mirror Door, really resonated with me. Thank you. I think this is a very important piece of work. And as I understand the definition of The Mirror Door, it's, it's what makes us reflect inward and question our readiness. And it's really in the context of women. Can you tell us a little bit more about that meaning? Sure. So it's really my metaphor in relation to the glass ceiling 
which is at the uppermost, that obstacle that holds women back. And my feeling is we can't even get anywhere close to the glass ceiling unless Mm. we open the mirror door. And you're right. It's this moment when we face opportunity, reflect inward many times with a distorted view and think we're not ready or worthy to move forward into action. And it's taking action. It's where all the growth is. But so often we busy ourselves doing the things to get ourselves ready that have worked in the past. It's a unintentional form of holding back or sometimes even procrastinating from taking the action that's going to really advance us. Mm, That metaphor is very, very powerful. You talk in your book in, in part one about some of the societal norms and expectations that shape how women are perceived and how they perceive themselves within the corporate environment. Can you talk a little bit more about how those sort of historical societal norms impact women today? Sure. So, I mean, I think the biggest one, you know, going back to little girls are, you know, sugar and spice and and this idea of being good, uh, Mm. being very other oriented. And it adds up to sometimes expectations of being perfect, being certain, not moving into action later on, unless we know for sure. And and there, there's a lot that's so fascinating about how boys and girls relate to each other. And so often growing up, we're socialized with our own gender growing up. And girls learn connection and secret sharing, but they also learn don't act superior. That if you, you know, stand out too much you could get ostracized from the girl group that, you know, as part of the girl code. Whereas boys have much more of a take risks, one-upmanship kind of thing, challenge each other very directly, and boys follow suit. They move into action before they're ready. That must Mm. be hard as a little guy, I imagine. But they learn that they can try things and they'll figure it out. Whereas girls learn this, I have to be certain, I have to be sure, because being wrong or, you know, making a mistake is outsized for girls. And I think boys learn, they take feedback in early on, they get it growing up, they're ribbing each other, you know, extends into adulthood where a guy might say to another guy, like, hey, put on a little bit of weight. Those things will never be said (laughs) between women. So that's a more personal thing. But, you know, we we take into the workforce later on for women, the manage the risk, don't one up someone else. We're not used to that. And the idea of fake it till you make it is something that can feel bad for women. And so it it, it prompts this, this being really certain and avoiding risks. And above all, don't offend others, don't rock Mm. the boat, and make sure you're prioritizing others. And while it's not true with with every woman, sometimes these deep-rooted things are are still with us when we grow up. And it just, you know, societal norms of protecting women, you know, sometimes that comes up in the workplace, things like protective bias, like I'm 
I don't think she'd want that job. She just had a baby. You know, like oh, those right. kinds of things are said well-intentioned, but actually can limit. So so some of it's internal and some of it's external too, that, mm-hmm. that are just things from the past, but there also are, are things about how we grew up that stay with us. You know, and additionally, there's like family or cultural norms too. Like I share in the book, you know, I was told, don't be a braggart. But also, Ellen, you have to toot your own horn. So right. there, there's right. those those things, and and that can be that that can be gender, but it also can be mm-hmm. cultural too. Certain right. and nationalities, you know, have that as part of their norm too. So it's really important to understand what messages did we get growing up, and and how do they turn into beliefs that guide our actions, and do they help us or do they hurt us? I'm just reflecting on that, and partially because. You know, of course, all of this applies directly to women, but boy, I said this before a call. I'm relating to this personally in terms of Absolutely. like, okay, w- what were those messages that I heard? Uh, I heard messages around, look, you're not going to be the entrepreneur. Your other brother is going to be the entrepreneur. It, you know, things like that that really impacted my mindset and my belief. And those are very familial messages, but, you know, I'm trying to imagine like the societal norms and expectations that really would shape how women show up in the work environment. And it would, I'm imagining it's very difficult to break through that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another one, you know, on the surface doesn't feel present today. It's this idea of women on a pedestal. And and it's sort of like the good girl that should be elevated, but you see in the business world, the fall from grace is higher and harder from women. So when mm. women make mistakes, or a lot of times, you know, as women go into troubled situations in a business, and if they don't turn it around, it is a bigger fall from grace that they face too. You know, there's these rooted things of we are expecting warmth from women. And women many times have that, but sometimes when someone comes in and, you know, is take charge, there's a reaction because men and women expect that of other women. So there's so much that's sort of deeply rooted in our society that we don't even see. It's kind of like below the surface, but it plays out too. Yeah, I'm really curious, Ellen, we do quite a bit of work with executive teams and I'm trying to picture myself as, you know, I'm trying to imagine what it's like to be that the sole woman on an executive team with six or eight or maybe 10 men. Like what are the implications here of these norms, especially when it comes to that team environment? Yeah. So there's a whole host of them. I think the one that can be most challenging is when you're the one or the, you know, one of the few, how do you get your voice heard? Because you add a different perspective, but sometimes in the sea of people that don't look like you, you can hold back or your voice gets drowned out. And so it's really important for team leaders and the other team players to make sure they're hearing from everyone, to make sure more voices are heard. And so whether it's creating norms like our norm is pass the mic, 
or we want to hear from everyone or when you know there's the classic things that something like a woman says something and it doesn't really get heard until a man says it in the room that's the kind of thing to be aware of and and should that happen it's great i can tell you when i've had other teammates say I really like that idea. And when Ellen originally shared it, she also added this part. Or I like how you built on that idea. And I'm glad you resurfaced Ellen's idea. So there's there's ways that we can notice this is going on. And, you know, in this case, we're talking about gender, but that's also true of introverts. Mm -hmm. So there's the team dynamics are so critical and things like setting an agenda, hearing from other people saying ahead of time, hey, I'm going to really want your opinion on this. I I hope you'll be able to share that. And and just recognizing the different styles around the table and being able to sort of set some, the ways that you operate to be able to pull out more voices. Mm -hmm. And it's just particularly hard when you're the only woman. I will tell you, having been the only woman on a couple of boards, I now that there's other women and other diversity in the room, I am more, much more vocal. I'm more comfortable doing that too. Because I think when you're, when you're the only in the room, you feel under the spotlight. You feel like if you say something that falls flat or is a dumb idea, you, you can, it can really see doubt or see this feeling like I'm under the spotlight and I, I, I don't want to participate unless I'm you know, what I share is going to be phenomenal. So it it sets up this really high expectation that other people probably don't have around the table. We need to be conscious of that and and help bring those different voices. And and so the meeting dynamics Mm. are so critical to that. Yes. And, you know, if I think about the role of an executive team, it's, you know, it's certainly to have the dialogue and debate around the critical decisions in a in a business and and if we're not effectively hearing from all the voices on that leadership team we might be missing out on innovations and creativity or going with you know the consensus which isn't really the consensus but an aura of consensus of a few loud voices in the room absolutely i i think if there's ways to engineer deliberate debate that can be really helpful to make sure you're not just all glomming onto that first idea that was really exciting everyone, but are you seeing like, if this went wrong, what would have driven that? And and bringing that kind of thoughtfulness to the team discussions. This topic really first came to my consciousness when I was sitting in a meeting, observing an executive team. And the CEO of the uh, growth stage tech company, the CEO said, and it was it was kind of end of year, right around performance reviews in the typical company. And he said, he noticed in his organization that the men in the organization tended to advocate for promotion and compensation more than women in his organization did. I thought that was like really insightful. And in your book, you outline some strategies that women will often undertake, but sometimes at their own peril. Can you talk about some of those? Sure. So first of all, love that 
that guy saw that yes. and used it. Um, yes. So that's so important to be aware of those kinds of things. So I have five of these strategies. They're preparing to perfection, eagerly pleasing, fitting the mold, and working pedal to the metal. And the last one is performing patiently. And that might be what was going on in that organization. So mm -hmm. I can go into them. But the patiently performing is that person who delivers results or that's behavior that is delivering results, but certainly not being the squeaky wheel and not yeah. realizing that that's the way it works, not necessarily mm -hmm. being the squeaky wheel, but it's collaborative career planning. So it's really yeah. important to share what have you accomplished and what do you want? And so often this person is sitting with a, a kind of internal rule or bias against self-promotion. It, it's kind of like the my my learning of don't be a braggart. Yes. But, and we think that that's being a braggart instead of that's how it works. So the more we can help people understand how it works is when you feel like you're ready or even before you're ready, you want to share what's the future you want in this organization. And you know, so I, I have some, you know, some solutions or some ideas, some frameworks to try of how do you plan a meeting where you're going to share this, share and build the muscle of communicating with your manager or the decision makers too. So often when we're performing patiently, we could be, we run this risk where it becomes perilous is not only we might miss the promotions and when we see other people getting them but we also might be perceived as less ambitious than we are mm. because we're not speaking up when other people are. I can tell you from managing 25 years in corporate America, yeah. I saw a dramatic difference in, in men advocating for themselves and, and coming in for asking for promotions or the big projects. And so we're losing out when we don't do that. And we think we're, we're following the rules. So real opportunity to change there. Oh, for sure. There's a line in your book that stood out to me and it was, all too often we are waiting in the wings for our turn for someone to notice us in our hard work. Yes. Yeah. So we just really need to be aware of that and take mm -hmm. some steps, even though it's hard. So small steps with yep. with our boss and say, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on this. And even though it feels... It's hard for me to do this. So that's one. Preparing to perfection yes. is that person who delivers flawlessly and delivers with absolute certainty. The challenge is they do it with a lot of time preparing. And we get used to that. It becomes our identity. And so very quickly, as we we rise in an organization and expectations rise and our plates get fuller and fuller, we don't have that time to do it to do all that preparation, but yet it, it's a hard thing to move on without that. And we don't recognize that we more than likely could make some recommendations, could make some decisions. But when we're, the peril of this one is, is when we don't decide, we don't make the decisions, we don't delegate, and we are perceived as not taking risks. This is where mm. you can go from the, the go-to person who delivers the great analysis to being considered the worker bee, the person you want on the team, not leading the team. 
And so there's real opportunity to differentiate your work, work with your manager, get help both through learning how to delegate, but also differentiating. Here's where I'm going to put my A plus effort. Here's where it's going to be C effort. And that will be hard Mm. for a perfectionist. Oh, interesting. But sometimes going in with a draft is what you really need that didn't take all the, you know, bells and whistles on a PowerPoint Mm -hmm. deck, Mm -hmm. things like that. Next one is eagerly pleasing. And this is, you know, this, this wonderful behavior of being other oriented, reading the room, rallying others, being the glue that holds the team together. But so often we neglect our own needs and we fear that we will risk the relationships when we address conflict or give really honest feedback or things that are expected as part of being, being leaders as well. So, you know, we can be considered too soft versus, you know, are we tough enough to make the the difficult decisions? So here, one of the biggest solutions is, is learning how to set boundaries, tapping into the care of this behavior that these people likely have. They generally are the people with the strongest relationships that can withstand disagreement, right. and we don't yes. always believe that. And so tapping into our care to address what needs to be addressed whether that's feedback, boundary setting, or conflicts that, you know, say what needs to be said. So again, building the muscle in small ways to begin to move in this direction and balance out other orientation with our own needs as well and getting our own voice heard. The third one is fitting the mold. And and this is that astute behavior of you know, reading what the culture wants, and it gives us ease of entry, we fit in, but sometimes we are so agile that we're the chameleon fitting in to a culture and not necessarily showing who we are. And over time, the company might, you know, it robs the company from the thinking that we could bring if we were truly open and honest about, you know, showing that sort of opposite opinion as yes. well as we can feel less authentic and it can start to see doubt where we face the mirror door and think if they really knew who I was, would I fit in here? And this, this could be anything from, you know, it used to be, I was told I am actually wearing Navy today, but I, I used to be told wear Navy, don't wear red. And so if you saw my website, I'm wearing red a lot. In it. And, and part of it was like, you know, I, for your listeners, I have dark hair and fair skin, like I'm better in red than I, that I look today, but uh, that that's a bit more out of date, but I can tell you, I've had a student who interned in a company and wanted to take the offer, but she wondered, she's a black woman. Can I wear my natural hair here? Mm -hmm. So there's parts of our identity, whether they're visible or not, that we're not always sort of showing up as fully. We're trying to match the culture. And it's a very personal decision of deciding, you know, do I want to take the risk of of showing more of myself? Do I want to maybe be pioneering in this culture or do I want to move on and find a different place? The last one is working pedal to the metal. And this is that take charge personality, high capacity, ton 
of, you know, tireless efforts here, driving results. So somebody we want in our organization, but sometimes in particular with women, they face the bias of like, but where's the warmth? Where's all the people skills in this? And, and what can happen is we are charging ahead of our team and, and not creating the followership. They're too far behind. It also can lead to burnout too. And so this is where the solution is to pause and reconnect with your team, explain your purpose, why you're focused so hard on like pushing for the deadline of the product launch or whatever that is, and also pausing for yourself too. So this is, you know, all of these have a power to them. They, there's a peril and there's a pivot that we can do to try to balance them out. Yeah, that's so, so helpful to hear that. Again, I could even relate to some of those, but I can also sort of hear the voices of some of the female leaders we've coached over the years. The one that really stood out to me was, well, there were two, the preparing for perfection. I just think about that, the perfectionistic tendency, it's an expectation that will never be achieved. And so then there's just this really powerful impact to potentially to your own self-worth or unrealistic expectations of others, there's there's a lot of energy that gets expended around that one in particular. Absolutely. I mean, the perfectionist hamster wheel, it's, yes. it's a losing game. It, it will always feel like never enough. And it's it's rooted in, you know, I, I say in the book, we, we all say FOMO, but like FOMU, fear of messing up. And, and not valuing how strong we really are. Uh, so it, it's if if this resonates with people, this is that one. Like I urge you yeah. to find ways to show up with less certainty and imperfection. You know, in the smallest, lower stakes kinds of things to build that muscle. Nice to, to really understand how do you you know how do you not get tied to the, this is like future stress in your life and questioning yourself, you know, got to open that mirror door. For sure. This is a great transition into part three of your book is really more around forging a new path and taking a a new approach. What are you advocating for as we think about some of the societal norms and challenges, these perilous strategies women have used? What's the new approach? Yeah. And I think that as we face the mirror door, it does see doubt. And is it any wonder that things like imposter syndrome or finding your confidence is on the agenda of virtually every women's magazine conference mm-hmm. discussion group? And I advocate for tapping into your courage. And I think it's about the prerequisite for action is is having courage. It's with like an uncertain outcome and confidence is the result of trying these things, of setting a boundary or showing up imperfectly and realizing I didn't lose my job. I actually had some good ideas there. I could could handle, you know, being on my feet in this meeting. So courage before confidence. And, And we likely have more of that than we realize. So drop the the search for confidence. Action will will build that. You will win and you will lose and get mm. back up. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of my biggest thing. I also think that 
you know, in a world where we see a lot of leaders with swagger, you know, I refer to it as swag her, like find your own way to move forward and and have your um, presence that's more uniquely you and in a fit with gender that we don't have to, we need to do it in our own way and not try to be something that we're not. I also think community is so important. There's really fascinating research on how successful women network differently, that the role of having a close-knit group of people who can give you feedback, who can give you sort of insider tips on different organizations. I don't mean insider trading, but more of like what it's like to work here in this kind of industry or this organization. So, you know, I, I, I feel like that, that community that you're not alone and women supporting other women and allies supporting, you know, people that, you know, have not been in the majority are really that's the future. And, you know, I guess I would finally say that at post pandemic, people want leaders who take care and take charge. And maybe those are sort of the stereotypical female and male sides. But, you know, we, we, we need to tap into both those in ways that sort of fit who we really are. And that's really what people want in their leaders, especially today. You know, we've moved beyond the like command and control and really need to add compassion and collaboration too. I have a client who said several times, no one cares until you show that you care. And Mm -hmm. that's so critical. And and also the the take charge or the result side is equally Mm -hmm. as important. I think you're right. Like it's, we think in terms of results and relationships, and it's about elevating both. Ellen, this has been so incredible. Thank you for your time. I'm going to see if I can maybe summarize a few of your insights from today. This was incredible. Point number one maybe is is around some of those societal norms, how girls and boys grew up differently and then how they impact us. So the idea of being good or being perfect or having certainty before moving forward is is something that can cause inaction versus action. That's something that you've seen. Number two, the fall from grace, mistakes, the impacts are higher for women than than they are for men. Number three, you've shared some really nice language that we can use to help support women, let's say in a team environment. Glad you resurfaced Ellen's original idea, but it was like almost giving credit to where that source of idea came from to help make sure we're engineering deliberate debate and including all the voices so that ultimately we can have the conversations that matter most. You laid out some really nice perilous strategies from patiently performing to preparing for perfection, eagerly pleasing, fitting the mold, and performing patiently. And there are strategies that have helped women be successful, but also there's some downsides to that. And finally, some of the strategies you outlined moving forward, tap into your courage, find your own way to have a presence that's more uniquely you, look for that community, those allies, that network to help build support and take care and take charge. Any other like high level key points that I missed there that we should 
focus and highlight on? Well, you are a wonderful listener. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, you. <laughs> you captured that really well. And I think, you know, the only thing I didn't talk about is I think so often we have an inner antagonistic voice in oh, our right. the inner critic, yeah. and we need to counter it with a way to disrupt it. It's there to protect us, but it goes too far. And it's, you know, if you've got that harsh voice in your head, in ways that you wouldn't talk to other people, then you know you're you're kind of on the wrong side. So I ask people, you know, what are your greatest hits? That inner critical voice, what's on replay? And what's the opposite of that? What what's that, you know, like for me, it's like, who are you to write a book? To like, I, I have some things that I can help other people. Right. And then taking it into action. So if I believed I can help other people, what what action should I take? get up early and write or whatever yeah, that is I love that. So that we go from shifting our mindset to what's what's the next best action to take suspend our belief and take action and move forward ellen thank you so much it's just been incredible to have you on this show you're an amazing human being and thanks for the contributions that you're making to our world and business and people it's just amazing so thanks so much Thank you so much, Sal.